0: How a pharmacy across the border in Mexico inspired San Leal to a lifetime of service. That story next on Locked on Pharmacy.
1: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy.
0: Hello, this is Frank Fortin for the American Pharmacists Association. Sandra Leal took the reins as president of the APHA last month with two issues dominating the dialogue, the pandemic, of course, but also the growing conversation about ending structural racism in pharmacy. Dr. Leal comes from a small town in Arizona, very close to the border with Mexico. Her early life experiences gave her a special perspective on what pharmacy is facing today. Sandra Liao, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me, Frank.
0: So you're starting your term in office with two very major challenges. There are many challenges, but there are two major challenges. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in the middle of it. And then there's also the beginnings of a very profound conversation about structural racism and and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion in pharmacy. What are your thoughts about each of these challenges as you start a term that you've been thinking about for quite some time?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I, I remember talking to previous presidents who've sat in this position, and they've all said the same thing. You never know what kind of wrench will occur during your presidential year, and you just have to be prepared, even though you might have been... Thinking it was going to be a certain way, uh, things just happen, and you have to be ready to address those items. And I think, you know, what's exciting about it is that pharmacists are really stepping up for the pandemic. Uh, this has been a uh, an incredible opportunity to highlight the work that pharmacists do and uh, what we've been advocating for for many years for the recognition of the value that we bring to very uh, significant problems like the pandemic. Uh, and as you talked about um, structural racism and some of the discussions going on around that, uh, this is something that has been incredibly highlighted the 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 health disparities that have occurred as a result of the pandemic have highlighted the need for us to actually address that, you know, take those issues head on and really again show the value that pharmacists can have as it relates to um, meeting some of the care gaps and reaching people that are, that are really struggling right now. so uh, that's. You know that this is the opportunity to really do that, and I'm just happy to have this platform to highlight issues that I've always been very concerned about uh, and do something more. Are
0: there any specific? Um, you know, you mentioned how the the pandemic has uncovered or exacerbated a lot of these a lot of these issues. Any particular instances um, in your work you're doing now or that you've done in the past where this really um, sort of hits you squarely, and we really got to do something?
1: Absolutely. I just feel like, you know, the most um, marginalized people, people that have historically been underserved, uh, underinsured, who've had language barriers, have struggled to have access to things like testing, to vaccines, and then they have been disproportionately impacted um, either by actually getting sick and die, or because they've been impacted economically, they've either lost their jobs, or they've been put in positions where they're at the most risk, you know, they are the essential workers that are the backbone of a lot of what we do. And, and unfortunately uh, they're the, the, the direct target of, of this pandemic. So it just really was <clears throat> more glaring to see it in your face and to see the numbers actually uh, exponentially grow impacting these populations uh, more disproportionately uh, than others. So so that was just very much the, the thing that that's really striking to me.
0: What do you think pharmacy can and should do to address some of those gaps that you're talking about?
1: Well, I think pharmacy has just really stepped up in trying to create access, uh, provide education, go out there and volunteer, uh, provide an access point where a lot of other places closed. Pharmacies were there and we helped advocate for people to stay connected to care. Uh, I'm looking now at some of the, um, the data on like people not even going in for routine visits and screenings and things like that, that we really need to get back in front of. Uh, otherwise, you know, the pandemic is gonna be followed by a lot of issues around just lack of, of basic uh, preventative care services. We're seeing vaccine rates for children drop. Um, we're seeing routine screenings drop and a lot of you know, procedures have been delayed. So we really have to be able to fill those gaps and, and be ready for uh, people in that way. The other area that I think is just incredible to me is is uh, some of the issues that were always there before, but that are going to be even worse, right? Like the opioid epidemic that has not gone away. And in fact, we've seen um, some pretty concerning statistics about where we're at with that. Uh, suicide rates, depression and anxiety. So the whole behavioral health aspect of, of what we're going to deal with and what we're dealing with right now are things that I know pharmacists can really step up and help with with education, screening, assessment, triaging, all the things that we've already been doing, but we're gonna really need to figure out how to focus on that even more.
0: Is it fair to say that, say something like the um, opioid addiction uh, epidemic, that it's gotten worse since uh, the pandemic has begun?
1: that's, you know, the information I'm seeing is showing some of that information. And and we don't even really know because we haven't, everybody's not really even paying attention because we've all been paying attention to COVID that some of the things that we were really focused on, we were trying to make advances on, have sort of been tabled because we've all been worried about this pandemic. So I'm like, really concerned about what that means when we actually start looking at that information again and start seeing uh how that's been impacted and i'm thinking that's not going to be in a very good way so um so that's what we have to start focusing back on and then just things that were already a problem you know i've always been a a person that's uh, been in, in diabetes management we're seeing people who are now more at risk for uh diabetes because of the things that happen with covid uh less less um activity, people isolated in their homes, more depression. Uh, So all those things definitely negatively impact um, things like that, like diabetes prevention. And so we might see even more diabetes as a result of this. So those are all the things that I'm thinking about that are opportunities for pharmacists to really step in and help with. Um, And it is because people go to the pharmacist. And right now, especially with vaccines and how pharmacists are really helping with that, uh, people are again seeing what what pharmacists can do as far as care delivery and really uh, reaching um, you know the goals that we want to reach in, in in many of these areas.
0: You mentioned diabetes and uh, diabetes management, and that's where you spent a lot of the early part of your career. Um, how did your um, early life and early professional experiences influence you to go to start in that direction?
1: Well, I mean. Being Hispanic, we saw a lot of diabetes in my family when I was growing up, and I grew up um, in the border in Nogales. Uh, it was a Mexican American border, and a lot of uh, people that lived in Mexico and the people that lived in the Arizona side of um, Nogales just really experienced barriers to care. You know, we didn't have as many providers in general. Uh, the border region has even more tremendous health disparities than even you know other communities because that border health region is. Um, has economic disadvantages, uh, less income in families, less education, uh, and, and definitely less access to providers. So there was a real struggle for people to be connected to care. And in Mexico, even more, my family grew up in a very small town where there isn't even a primary care provider. So they would have to travel to a bigger area to try to seek care. So I saw a lot of family members struggle very early on with diabetes. Uh, not not taking anything for it and then actually experiencing really bad outcomes you know foot ulcers amputations things like that so that left a very Mm. very um, significant mark on me and I always wanted to like do something more for my community to help address that and especially be a provider that spoke in the same language um, that people could you know relate or uh, could actually rely on to to provide that care so we used to go to the pharmacist a lot and uh, Mexico and and that's where we received a lot of our information and so for me that was primary care that's who you went to that's where you, you had your questions answered that's how you would basically connect to care uh, and so I love that model and so when I you know when I started thinking about what I wanted to do when I was uh, growing up um, pharmacy I decided on pharmacy very early on I, I think I was in 11th grade when I said I'm going to be a pharmacist and so it was from that point on i would never even considered or contemplated another career. And I also very much decided very early on, uh, even before I did a residency um, in pharmacy, that I wanted to focus on diabetes management just because it impacted, um, you know, my community
0: so much. And your family.
1: And my family, absolutely. Um, A lot of uh, my family members on my father's side experienced very aggressive type 2 diabetes and uh, and so that's where you know when i finished my residency i ended up um, applying for a position at a federally qualified health center which is where we used to go my first job when i was in high school was as a uh, promotora de salud a teen health promoter and it was uh what they call community health workers now promotora still um is the the term they use in spanish and so i was a teen health promoter uh in high school and they actually mariposa health center provided my first scholarship uh, to become a healthcare provider so i've always had um, just an incredible uh, passion for for the work that FQHCs do. And so that's how I really ended up in, in at El Rio Health Center. And uh, El, El Rio actually is very much connected with Mariposa. They're, they're collaborating in a lot of ways. So it's really nice to go in, and have worked at, at that FQHC and then see the the work and develop the clinic and the models that we did with diabetes management at El Rio.
0: You know, not every pharmacist decides to... Uh... Spend part of their uh, career um, in leadership positions and pursuing something beyond the scope of their practice Um, And i'm always interested in hearing what motive what motivated you to uh, Go beyond I want to say just your work, but your work into something uh, writ large everyone seems to have a different story and i'm curious what yours is
1: so, you know, it was so interesting because I never imagined myself to be more in an administrative role. But what I used to experience is that I used to see people come in every day, and it was wonderful to have that direct patient connection and to manage, you know, and work with individuals. But what I would see and what was really frustrating was that people were walking in and they were experiencing the same types of problems. It was a system problem. Um, and so that was frustrating to me. So we would have, like, say, a change in a formulary that was, you know, some, some, Big decision that was made, and then all of a sudden, our, all our patients had to be switched out from their glucose monitor because it wasn't covered. So now I had to deal with the next, you know, 100 patients, just trying to help them overcome that problem that was made at a remote place with no thought about what the impact would be on that individual patient. So I really quickly started to think, how can I impact that? How can I actually impact the decision making that's occurring so it impacts a lot of patients in a good way, not in a negative way? So that sort of started to. Help me think more about what system changes, what workflow changes, what policy could I change to impact the system. And then what I quickly realized is, okay, so we were having success within our system, but we're not an isolated system that people come to. And that's it. They go to many systems. So mm-hmm. I just sort of started to kind of expand my view and look at all of the systems that had to work together in order to impact that person. Um, So that, again, it really drove my uh, thought of moving more to a population health strategy. And and I actually obtained my master's in public health to start working on more of those system changes and addressing, again, the policies and issues that impacted the individual person. Because I was just feeling like for, you know, every person that saw me, there were hundreds, literally hundreds of people waiting that I was never going to see by myself. So I needed either to replicate myself many, many times over, so you know work with a lot more pharmacists to get into these roles of patient care and then work more on a system level to actually address the problems and really fix issues at that where at that source where it was coming from i've always been a you know figure out what the problem is at the root source and then try to fix it there so that you don't have to kind of spin your wheels one at a time and so that's really uh that's that's the reason i'm in the positions i am now and i always think about that individual Uh, person, but it's really hard to, to address one at a time because we're so limited on resources. So we have to do resource allocation better. And that's, that's how I ended up in the position that I am currently in.
0: But at the and at the same time, while working with patients, you can see results more or less in real time. You know, someone gets better in a week after starting blood pressure medication, for example, um, hopefully, um, but, uh, when you're working at the system level, it must be frustrating sometimes. You're doing all this work and not seeing anything right away. How do you how do you manage that within yourself?
1: Well, I mean, I definitely am very connected to the clinicians that I work with. I mean, we, we constantly look at success stories. We highlight the good work that we're doing at that individual person level, because at the end of the day, it's all about people getting better. And so that's also, you know, I, I get asked a lot of times, how do you do all the things that you do? And how do you, you know? How do you manage that? I'm like, because everything I work on is very aligned. And even, you know, the organizations I associate myself with are very mission driven, no matter what the status is, if it's nonprofit, for profit, you know, this board, that board, it's really like what gives me clarity is at the end of the day, the one thing that's my North star is that we have patients have better outcomes. And if I could look, focus on that, I know everything else is easy, right? Everything else follows and I can align what I do with that. And so I always really like to highlight the incredible work that the clinicians are doing. And then it really validates the work that I'm doing. But I Mm -hmm. I always try to stay connected with that direct patient um, experience. Uh, I talk directly to the pharmacists that are working the front lines. I, you know, I volunteer, I check in. I sometimes even like, um, well, I do, I precept students, I precept residents, I mentor a lot, and so I get to see the very direct impact of all the things that I'm working on, on that ground level. I mean, so clearly because I'm literally embedded within every day, and I don't ever remove myself from that. And I know that because I've, even in my historical, you know, experiences, I've seen as you move into administration, sometimes you forget uh, that day to day, and if you forget, it's sometimes hard to like really understand why you're making the decisions that you're making. So I always try to keep that very much in mind, um, so that I. Always keep in mind why I do what, what I do and what decisions I do, how they impact that direct patient care experience.
0: So talking about long games like that, there may be no longer game than the longer term game than the uh, the work you're, you've uh, been doing on structural racism. Uh, that will take a while to play out, presumably. What is your vision for where pharmacy and APHA can be as a result of the work that you and many others now are starting to work on this, including APHA's new task force?
1: Well, I think, you know, definitely it's really gratifying to see and exciting to see that APHA is really focused on uh, on actually addressing these issues head on. And I, I really say that because this committee that was formed uh, by Michael Hogue and that we've continued this year and that we're continuing to support um, is tremendous, and and the people that we've um, selected to be part of this group are just the most incredibly dedicated people. I just, I they're so passionate about this work, and so it starts with that. It starts with creating awareness, dedicating resources, dedicating time, and being very intentional about what we're doing, and then you know using this as an opportunity to really reassess what we've been doing and how we can actually improve areas where we haven't necessarily given attention to. So I I just think that 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 attention, the resources, the focus, and then being very much aware of how we move forward with all of that in mind, puts us in a better position. And it, there's so many things like I know everybody's like, oh, I'm excited about what you're going to do this year. I mean, this is years and years and years of of historical, we can't fix it in one year for sure. And we can't fix it overnight. So I there's, I am very aware of that, but how do we actually plant seeds today that then grow and be fruitful to have good outcomes in the future? And I think about that in many levels. I think about that in trying to recruit more diverse students so that we can slate candidates that are diverse. Because if we don't even have diversity to slate, how can we do that effectively, right? So you can't fix that today because we might not even have candidates to help us with that process. So I, those are the things, but I'm planting seeds now, having discussions with groups and really getting them at, at whatever place they can influence to start thinking about that and seeing how they can impact um, those uh those areas that they're currently working on. So if there's people in academia in our task force, how are you working with your school to really look at your admissions criteria? Mm-hmm. That's something they can do very effectively. And I I mean, APHA can do a lot to help um, have that dialogue, but we need everybody to really do it at many levels and to help se- support that message. So I know that that's been um, you know, something I've been really thinking a lot about and how can I um, make sure that there's you know, my theme was be the voice, be the voice to continue to advocate uh, for a lot of these very important changes that we need to make.
0: Well, to your point, in the Boston area, there's a project called the Biomedical Careers Project that um, starts talking with uh, young people in high school who show an aptitude for science um, to encourage them along the way to apply for pre-med or what have you, or pre-pharmacy, what have you, that the understanding is, and it takes people from many different sectors, education, of course, but also medicine, also pharmacy and all those sort of things, but start early so that by the time they turn 17 and are looking at uh, uh, colleges, hopefully that they're encouraged to do that. If that's where their inclination is, it really does have to start early, doesn't it?
1: It does. And I just remember I was the first person in my family to go to college. I'm a a first generation um, student and and I was like, I I sometimes wake up and I don't understand how I was able to overcome so many barriers in my own experience. Um, You know, I had no money for college. It wasn't like my family had, they were happy that I graduated from high school. My parents did not graduate from high school because they didn't have the opportunity. So to go to college was really scary for my mom. She's like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe you would consider moving uh, out of state to go to school. But Um, I'm working right now through, um, through this process with my daughter, and it is so complicated, you have to have resources to, you know, pay for your SATs, for example, to do college visits. And then when you look at tuition costs, um, my goodness, it's very overwhelming and intimidating. And I, I mean, I'm so blessed that I can look at these things. And like, we can come up with a plan. But I really look at all of the items that, that kids have to go through to try to get into a position for them to succeed. And there's just so many barriers that really uh, prevent people from being successful if they don't already have a lot um, of that, either financial support or historical experiences doing it. So I I have so much um, empathy for people because I was there. I lived that experience and, um, and I, now I'm just like looking at it with such appreciation that I can do this with my daughter. But I I, like it hurts me to think that you have to have a lot of these things in place to be successful. And uh, I don't think people really think about that because we take it for granted. I've heard that a lot. Well, it doesn't, you know, structural racism doesn't exist. I mean, it's maybe you don't think that, but you haven't probably experienced it or you haven't lived it or you haven't talked to somebody who lives it every single day. And that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist for you. Uh, But it exists. (laughs) So, so that's the kind of things that we just have to be able to listen and, and understand and, and not try to be judgmental about that, but try to figure out how can I help or at least get out of the way and not be a barrier to the things that we need to address.
0: Very good. Well, Sandra Leal, it's been a pleasure speaking with you on the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Frank. And that's it for this edition of Locked Pharmacy. This is Frank Fortin for the American Pharmacists Association. Thank you for listening
1: this podcast has been brought to you by the american pharmacist association the largest professional association of pharmacists in the united states